something a little different from landscape photography world. Speaking with Sully Brownville, Sultan, who helps creatives find meaningful opportunities. Graduating from RMIT with a photographic degree, Sally Brownbill ventured to the UK, landing a job in British TV production and West End Theatre. Returning to Melbourne, she founded The Flash Place and began teaching photography at RMIT. Through her work, she realised her passion for helping creatives find meaningful opportunities, leading her to join Duck's Creative Consultancy and later establish Sally Brownbill Consulting. With a lifetime of experience in the creative industry, she's connected with legends and aspiring talents, nurturing careers and building an extensive network across Australia. In 2013, she founded the Brownbill Effect as a natural progression from her consulting work. Her greatest thrill comes from helping others, a driving force behind her dedication. By guest lecturing and working with students, she stays up to date with the industry and offers support to fellow creatives, ensuring they never feel alone on their journey. We discuss how Sally moved from photography to consulting, some horror stories from her photography career, along with lots more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day Sally, welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Yeah, really well, thanks Grant. Nice to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Love your t-shirt. Sorry? I love your (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah, everyone's a photographer until we go to manual, yeah. Thank you. That's it. I've bought that for me a, a few years ago and I'm lucky it still fits. But anyway, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Tell people who don't know who Sally Brownville is, who you are and what you do. Okay, sure. I think it's always good to know the background of why somebody ends up doing what they do. So I actually started life out as a commercial advertising photographer. Mm-hmm. So I trained at RMIT a long time ago. Worked in industry, did a lot of travel photography initially for a a bus touring company. I decided I really needed to learn about the business of being a photographer. So I became an assistant to a really amazing man. Mm -hmm. And uh, he taught me so much about life, about photography, about the business of photography. And I spent a lot of time with him. And and at the end of uh, a couple of years, he said to me, I think to go and see the world and then come back and start shooting and So I took his advice and went off and he meant six months, but I ended up staying away for years and years and years. And I worked in film and television and uh, West End Theatre in in London predominantly. And I travelled the world and I came back many years later. And at the end of that journey, I came back and I started shooting again, but I realised my photography was not about shooting other people's ideas. Yeah, right. Photography. And when you're in it, you don't realise it, even though I loved it and I ate it and I breathed it and I lived it. Yep. I didn't want to be shooting other people's ideas. I was a bit lost. So I went back to RMIT and spoke to my lecturers and they invited me to come and start teaching. So I started teaching photography and to photography students and also to advertising students, which started to open up my world of understanding advertising. And at the same time, a lot of friends that were photographers said to me, we heard you're not shooting anymore, but you you never shut up. You've got your mouth's always on the go, hence this and my logo, and everything about photography <clears throat> will pay you to take our folios out. So nice. work. So I started to build this huge network of design studios and advertising agencies and government departments and everybody that needed photography. And I started to gather photographers and to help them be the best that they could be then and, and go out and get them work. Mm-hmm. I taught a couple of days a week and 
that went for a few years, which was wonderful. And then it moved into me moving in with another company that did what I was doing, but they were doing it for art directors and creative directors and illustrators and writers and graphic designers. Is this longer than you thought? Go. (laughs) And so then I started to learn about the world of who employs photographers. So I was dealing with designers and art directors and getting into their headset. And that was interesting because then I could then go back to photographers and say, I think we're doing it all wrong. We're showing the folios. They're not interested in seeing the jobs. They're interested in seeing what makes you tick. So after a number of years and having a family, I started my own business when photographers started coming in and saying to me, can you help me do folios? So back in 2002, the first folio I designed of a, a friend of mine, I knew he was a beautiful photographer, but his folio was just all over the shop. And it was a really interesting time in Australia at that time because a lot of companies were going a- abroad. And so work that was being done in Australia, especially in the food industry, was now being shot abroad and there was a lot of stock photography being used. Yeah. And photographers who had just kept ticking over with clients for years and years, they now all of a sudden had to work out how to promote themselves. Mm. So it was quite a different time. And so I was right in at that core going, come on, everyone, I can do your folios. And so that's where that part of my business started. So I design and do layout and work with photographers at all stages of their career to help build portfolios that turned into also websites and also into helping curate exhibitions and what images are going to go into exhibitions as well. That's still a very big part of my business. I then moved into starting the creative directory, which is on the brownbilleffect.com. Mm-hmm. Shameless advertisement there. That, that, that's not a problem. We, we have no where, shame on this podcast. Excellent. <laughs> and that is where creatives at all stages of their career can have a listing on there. It's only $250 for the year. And it is another avenue for them to market themselves. So it's not just photographers, there's cinematographers and writers and designers and printers and bookbinders and all sorts of people and galleries that, that people just want another avenue and a new network. For the last really long time, over 25 years, I've been building this massive network in all areas of the creative world. Mm-hmm. The folio designing and website and curation of images and books is a big part of what I do. But then I also started to do recruitment into the creative industry as well, because it was yeah. just coming in the door. Everyone, do you know anyone that can work in my studio? Can you help me do this? And so then I also started a series of consultations, which are only two hours long, where it's about career guidance. It's about looking at what you have, how you're presenting yourself, how your folio and or your website looks, if mm-hmm. you need a CV, what to put into that. And it doesn't matter at what stage you are or what creative ilk you have. It's about inspiring and motivating people and making them feel the best that they can be and making them feel confident that what they've got, they can actually go to market and show. Because a lot of people, it's great, and we're talking specifically about photography today. Sure. It's really easy. The easy part of it is taking the pictures and being a really good photographer. But the Mm -hmm. understanding of the business side of photography is what is always lacked. And years of teaching at a variety of universities, I do a lot of guest lecturing now, I I judge many awards, of which landscape has been a lot over the years. People always have that hesitation about understanding the business of photography and working on your business and how to promote yourself and 
yeah. and it's a tough gig and it's and it's I'm there going do you know what you're not the only one it is a tough gig and what is your photography about so in this instance what is your landscape photography is it about feeding your soul while you have a full-time job yep. or is it about you're wanting to exhibit your work and slowly move out of your full-time job are you wanting to retire and get into something else there's all sorts of areas mm. nothing shocks me anymore I love meeting people I get a huge inspiration about working with other people's imagery. I have no emotional attachment to it. So I'm very clear cut about what works and what doesn't and what their yep. strengths and what their weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. I started an assistant register in addition to the creative directory. So people that are wanting to actually learn about business and work with other photographers so they can be listed on there as an assistant. And then I do the consultations. I do full-time recruitment in the creative industry as well. And I've got a big freelance register and Just because I wasn't busy enough and I just love what I do, we talked earlier on about you starting this podcast to keep you together in COVID. I um, I wrote a book. So the book is how to develop your career as a photographer. And it's not how to take a picture, but it's about, and we can talk about this a bit later, It's it all came about with a very dear friend of mine, Rick Wallace, who passed away in COVID. Mm. We had, he was my mentor and I assisted him and, before we went into lockdown, he said, what are you going to do if you go into lockdown? And I said, I'm going to write a bloody book. I love writing. I love talking. I've got lots to say. Yep. I love inspiring people. And he said to me, if you write a book, you've got to dedicate it to me because I taught you everything you know. <laughs> so the opening page is a dedicated dedication to Rick. Fantastic. And, and it really, do you know what? He died about two weeks after that. Just wow. hideous things, not of covid and I thought, shit, I better put my money where my mouth is. And I did it. And I'm so proud of it. And it is all about what he taught me in a lifetime of working and motivation and inspiration and, and about networking and and not in a not in an ugly way, in a really beautiful, positive, let's make it a community and let's make everybody enjoy, bounce out of bed and get into photography way. Hmm. Yeah. Having read the the ebook, I can certainly recommend it to anybody that uh, wants to either start or is going already down the path of becoming a, a professional photographer, whether that's in product or portrait or wedding or even landscape photography. Yeah, uh, everything in there is it's generic. It's, it's not generic. About, yeah, and yeah, that, it's not about a specific kind yeah. of photography. It's about what, a state. Absolutely. And what it does is it makes it really clear that you've got to wear a lot of hats when you're starting your own business. You're the CEO, you're the chief marketing officer, you're the chief cook and bottle wash and janitor oh, and yeah, all the rest yeah. of that. And you change, you change the toilet rolls, yep, you've exactly. got to move your car, you do your own invoicing. And it's a lot because especially if you're coming out of studying, all you have to worry about when you're studying is like my project's due in two weeks' time. And mostly you shoot it the day before when you're a student and and money's involved or other people are involved. It's very rare in any kind of photography that you are on your own. You may shoot on your own, but mm. there's always either a publisher or a gallerist yeah. or an art director or a designer or a printer or somebody else involved. So it's about communication as well, hugely about communication. So I want to take you back a little bit to the, the, the <clears throat> and the genesis of the Brown Bell effect. What made you decide to actually start? What was the point where you said, I can do this, I'm going to actually kick it off and and do it? Because 
a lot of people say, I'd like to own my own business and so forth. And they, they talk about it sometimes more than they should, but very few people actually make that leap. What was it like to make that leap for you? I'm, I'm just interested in the emotions that were going on and the things that you were thinking about when you first started. Yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a really lovely question, Grant. So there's the two parts to the Bramble Effect. The first part was the portfolio deciding mm-hmm. to make a living out of doing portfolios. And that was, I'd been in a design studio and photographers would come in and show me folios that I would show the design studio. And I would say, I said to this particular guy, I can't show you this. There's a squashed moth on the front page. And I know your work is so much better than this. And it's stuck in with bloody masking tape. I can't show this. And he said, what would you do? And I said, I don't know, but I know that they would love you working for them. He was a food photographer and I'm coming over and we're going to work it out. Print all your stuff out. We're going to lay it all out. And that's how it literally started. And and I thought, gee, I love this because I get my creative on when I'm doing it. Mm. He got an enormous amount out of the experience. And then he told somebody whose folio I then did. And then they told somebody else and it just grew. And I stayed in the design studio until it got to a point where there wasn't enough days in the week and I was a young mum and yep. I said to my husband, I think if I hit the accelerator, this is just going to explode. Are we in a financial position for me to do that or do I need this constant working in the design studio and teaching element? Mm-hmm. And we were really, we bought a house, we had a young family and he just said, no, I reckon we can do it. It might be tight for a few years. And so that was my catalyst. And I knew that I was an incredibly good organiser because my job in the design studio had been to manage time management and organise and show folios and things. Yeah. So I knew that I was really disciplined. I knew that I knew my subject really well. I went and got advice from uh, our accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, I set myself up. I spoke to a designer about a logo, which he came up with the mouth, which you'll see on my logo originally because he just, again, it never shuts up. And I always wear red lipstick. And and I thought, I'm, I, and I work from home. We have a mezzanine upstairs. So I've worked from home. So we were, I was really growing up about it. I was really sensible. I didn't put on lots of staff. I had, and I just went out and I allowed word of mouth to, to run it. After a year or so, I got a website. I was still at university teaching and I then started doing some guest lectures at other universities. So my network started to know what I was doing and, and it started to build. And then the idea of moving. So that was a really important part to the Bramble effect was having the confidence that I knew what I was doing and that I had a network that I had built back in the mid 90s whilst I was being an agent for photographers, which was yeah. a completely different area. And I really loved people and I thought this is going to this is going to be it. And so whilst I then was out showing folios to designers and art directors and getting pulling jobs in and saying we need a stylist here and a makeup artist and we need studios, doing all of that, a couple of people from the creative industry and photographers, interestingly, creative industry and photographers, they said, you should start some sort of a listing or something where people can go. And so they came to me with this idea and I said to my husband, what do you reckon? And we spoke to another friend that was pretty good in business and how would we set this up? And I knew a great web designer and I loved my graphic designer and we all got together and we built the first creative directory. And and then in addition to that, the assistant register came on and it was at that time that I was still doing the folios the creative directory and the assistant register, that the industry started ringing me going, listen, 
we know you're ex- expanding. Would it expand to helping us find full-time staff? And, and I just went, yeah, <laughs> not really knowing a whole lot about it and then realising I then had to go to a lawyer. I then had to get terms and conditions and understand all that. So I went on a massive business learning curve myself. Like I often say, I'm I'm not a businesswoman's belly button, but I've got lots of great people around me that I ring and go, shit, what do I do here? So I was smart about it because I was a bit older and I'd seen a lot of businesses go down the tubes. And so that was the catalyst for why I did it. And the reason I still do it after, and so that was in 2012 that we built that and I launched it early 2013. And so this is our 10th year, so it's a really nice time to be talking about it. That was the catalyst for it to start. And the reason I still do it is because I love every minute of it. I Every day I bounce out of bed, something completely different is happening. I'm dealing a lot with photography. I wrote the book. I'm just writing my second book now. Mm-hmm. Um, that I hope to be released towards the end of the year. And, and it's about creativity in general. So it's not photography specific. It's about it's okay at any stage in your life to be creative. And, and what do we need to allow yourself to do that? Absolutely. Um, and I'm having that illustrated. And so it's about challenges. It's about the challenge of change. It's about life is here to be lived. And I think many people that I deal with have gone into other careers because they were really smart at school. So they're yep. teachers and parents said, you've got to do law or you've got to do medicine or you can't be a photographer. Whereas my parents were always so, wow, your photos are beautiful. Are you going to do photography? And I went, God, maybe. And I just loved the support and encouragement that I had. Yeah, so yeah. I feel it my duty to support and encourage anybody in their creative pursuits, whether they decide they want to write a book or become an art director or move across from photography into this. or So I just love people and I love making people the best that they can be. And I'm fortunate to be surrounded by so many great people myself and asking people to be involved in projects. And it's it's great. God, we could all be accountants, right? We could all be sitting in a And as you pointed out earlier, it doesn't matter what stage in your life you are, you can be creative, whether you're a five-year-old with a crayon in their hand all the way up until you're a 95-year-old with a crayon in their hand. You know what? My dad is nearly 94 and he yep. changed careers, went back to university at 50 and at mm-hmm. 60 he went into a whole new career. Yep. And he's only recently just slowed right down. Yeah, yeah, well. I know where I get it from, right? Fair enough. So what motivates you creatively? Other people motivate me creatively. I get really inspired by working with other people, even if they're not great at what they do. My creative really gets on when I can go, there's not a lot going on here. How can I help them be creative? That's really, really important for me. I love, I I have a place down at the beach or we have a place down at the Great Ocean Road and that inspires me. I just go for lots of really long walks in any weather and I feel it's my place of just utter peace and just clear-headedness. I think that's important. Yeah. I love movies. Movies are huge and I'm a huge reader. Mm. I read a lot. And I don't necessarily read highbrow books. I'll read, give me a good rom-com, give me anything. I just I just enjoy visual stimulation and and I love listening to music as well. Music's my husband plays the guitar and it's really good. But mostly it's other people. And working so much in universities with students too, because the older you get, 
the younger the people that work with me now are because they know so much that I don't know. So I'm the first person to go, God, that's a new word. I haven't heard that. Or what does that mean? Or what do you mean Facebook's changed? What have I I got to do now? Or what's going on? Somebody sent me this. How do I download this? So um, that's a great thing. Young people really inspire me. Or they go, hey, can I show you a shortcut on the computer? And I go, yes. But so it's not all about me telling people how to do things. It's a lot about me learning from others around me. And I think that's really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. And my dog, who you're about to see, she's trying to jump on my lap. So that's what I'm doing. She, that. <laughs> that's okay. We're dog friendly here. It's all right. <laughs> Off you go. What's the most common problem that a client would come to you with? A photographer? Yeah. Yeah. There's many. But I guess the most common one would be that they're a bit lost in their journey in mm. photography. That they're just not sure. Like it could be that they don't know how to go from where they are now to get. I worked with a guy yesterday and he's got an okay career, but he wants to go to that next level and how do you do it? Yeah. yeah. Or I have somebody I worked with a couple of weeks ago had just so many images for their website that they just couldn't, they'd narrowed it down from 400 to 250, but we really only wanted 50 and they had such emotion, they have such emotional attachment to their work. Like one guy I remember many years ago, I was looking at his work and I said, that's going, he goes, no, that stays in because that's the day I fell in love with my wife. She was the model and it was the best day of my life. And I said, and it looks terrible in your folio, so take it out and put it in a frame and stick it next to your bed. Because nobody else is going to care. Because we don't actually care because it looks like it was shot in 1975. Yeah, right. And and so it's the cold hearth truth, but I do it in a nice positive way. But people need, they are actually, the man I was working with yesterday, he was actually, I he was just sitting there like this, and I kept saying, are you okay? And he goes, I'm here for this. Keep going. So I will never say to anybody who works terrible leave. I will say, wow, even if it's only the cover that's good or yep. something, I'll just always find something positive and say, so how we could probably do this. And so they would be the two major things. The other thing is I think people have, um, it's very hard to be very critical of your own work. Yep. And so Somebody might have done a shoot where there's 15 great shots and we really only want three or four in a folio because we don't want to be bored and think that's the only thing. Yeah, like, yeah. And they just can't pick between them. So that's uh, a popular one that people will come and work with me on. But mostly it's about I just I'm not sure where to from here. Mm. Uh, what What is the market like at the moment? How do I present myself now? Like I haven't had to show folios for they might say for years because I've had regular clients. Now they've gone. Do do I have a printed one? Do I have an online one? Do I do a website? So there's all sorts of things right down to I don't know if this is for me anymore. Do you know? Is it? Do you think it's a viable career? Yeah. yeah. Can I get a full time job in photography? How do I? I also love retouching and photography. A lot of people will come to me with two skill sets, like designer and photographer or retoucher and photographer, and yep. I best present myself. And so you've got to be very careful about that. Yeah, and you, your resume for each, if, if you're applying for a job, for example, or when you're putting a portfolio forward, they're going to be very different because people in those industries are going to be looking for very different things. Yeah, and how to tailor yourself. and. And the other thing is, and this is not just photography, a lot of people come to me because 
they have so many different skills and they don't know how to talk about it. So they yeah. feel like they're a jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. And so it's about, and that could be photographing everything from landscape, cars, fashion and product, right yeah. through to being a designer, an illustrator, also a videographer and a photographer. It's, you can't confuse people. You have to be a very, we are in a world of communication. So it's about how do I talk this about myself clearly how do I articulate what I want to do and work through that with them so it might be right design is really your main thing so we're going to call you a designer but your additional skill sets will be photography and yeah you you can have multiple niches into which you fit but you've got to have that main focus which is how you describe and and especially with photography because Europe is quite different where they specialise in one thing, like yeah. really niche. It could be I just photograph orange bottles, right? Yep. Um, whereas in Melbourne especially and, and Australia, but especially Melbourne, we can identify with photographers that have a style that takes us across like lifestyle photography that can take yep. us into portraiture and buildings and food, for instance. And Yeah, well, there's a lot of commonalities between, say, landscape and travel, for example. Absolutely. And... And then when I work with landscape photographers or documentary photographers and they're looking at trying to get commercial work, we have to be really careful about the imagery that we pick because what we don't want is somebody looking at this beautiful work of Grant Swinburne's and going, oh, God, yeah, when I was in Bali, I've got a shot just like that. Yeah, so that's right. It, it, I am always talking about what is your point of difference. And yeah. so travel photography is a really interesting one because many people that go to Bali or Italy or France are, are looking at the same stuff but what is it that you've seen is it a nighttime photography or have you just photographed people's yeah, feet have, have you made that your own and how, how yeah what is your point of difference and and so, yeah that is a great shot of the Eiffel Tower but I've seen that 40 million times and I'm not putting that in your folio again yeah put it in a frame and stick it on your wall do you mm. set creative challenges for any of you yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do. It's really important, especially when designing a layout for a website or a portfolio, because mm -hmm. if we make a decision that we're going to have a title that says landscape or product or whatever it might be, yep. and we've got 10 in one and 50 in the other, it's like we actually need to shoot more products. So why don't we go out and let's have a discussion. What do you like? Glassware. Glassware's yep. great. Fruit bowls, just being around my house at the moment. Lab sure, sure. And so, and that's the educator in me, helping them to decipher what it is that they're lacking in their bodies of work and not doing it for them, but giving them really good ideas and a brief to go out to shoot because so many people just need that when they're lost, they need to be told what to do. Or here is a brief, go out and you imagine it and how could it be? Yeah, mm. that's, it's important because. Absolutely. Sometimes it's just so nice. We grow up our whole life when we're at school with the bell ringing, telling us time to go to the toilet, time to eat lunch, time to go home. Yep. Yep. And then you're thrown out into the world and it's, wow, I've actually just got to run this all on my own. And Work out where i got to be when i got to be. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes, a lot of the time, we all just get overwhelmed and go, I just don't want to have to think. Mm. I just want somebody to tell me, what am I doing? Yeah. And boy, do I love doing that. <laughs> Certainly sounds like it. Nice what about way. photographers setting goals for themselves? What advice do you have for people? And there's photographers I've spoken to that don't do that, but there's a lot of photographers that I know do 
actually set themselves goals and projects. And they're not always the professional ones either. Sometimes it's people that are just doing it as a hobby or as a, a weekend pastime. What, what advice for both sides of that or both ends of that spectrum can you give? I think setting goals, realistic goals, is hugely important because otherwise you're just floating around. You're just going, yeah. whoa, I'm just going to take this. You have to have an element of the fork in the road. Wow, I thought I was heading there, but actually this is a good opportunity. So you have to be open to changing and opportunities, but goals are hugely important, and but realistic, as I said. And what I mean by that is I will have somebody come and see me in October and yep. say, I need a new website. I want to do a new folio with you and I want to have an exhibition and I'd like to do it all in December. And I'll say, which December? Mm. Not two months' time, December. And they go, yeah, do you think we can? I go, no, we can't. No, that's that's not going to work. So timelines are hugely important in photography. So on the both spectrums, if you've currently got a full-time job and this is your hobby on the weekend, it, your photography is actually about feeding your soul. So you don't want it to be a stressful thing. You want it to be a realistic achievement. You also don't want to ruin your family or your partnerships or your job. Mm. You want it to be an enjoyable thing. So give it, allow yourself enough time and go, right, I've got three months to shoot and I'm going to shoot every Saturday morning and every second all day Sunday and I'm going to take my kids with me on that day or my partner or whatever it might be or I'm going out on my own. Let everybody in your world know what you're doing and then say by the end of three months, I'm then going to collate my imagery. I'm then going to find somewhere to exhibit it or a book, whatever. So you have a plan and a timeline. My new book now, we did a timeline last week and you work backwards. Like I'd like to have an exhibition then and you work backwards Hmm. because it's about having a, with photography, it's important to have a goal because there's no right or wrong and there's no end to it. And you are always improving. So you do this exhibition first and then you go, that was fantastic. I can't wait for my next exhibition in two years. And then you see what you've improved on or you're going to go down a different rabbit hole. And so that's what's really important. And with a commercial at the other end of the spectrum, having goals is really important because you are, if you are a commercial photographer, you are running to other people's deadlines and people are changing on you all the time and there's weather dependent and I couldn't yeah, do it. Brief, brief can change, the it, all sorts of things. Like us today, we had a time set and then it all went to hell in a handbag and then we had to reschedule and we went, okay, and now here we are. But you've got to be fluid within what you're doing. You can get cheesed off and you can do all those sort of things, but that's the nature of running your own business. There's ebbs and flows. There yep. is feast and famine. If I could come up with any Absolutely. more analogies, I would. So a goal, a realistic goal of, right, I am busy shooting architecture the whole time, but my goal of photographing the ocean at different times of the day is my goal. And my goal is to shoot three new images a month. Yep. And I'm going to, I can easily do it on the way home from work. I'm going to do it at sunsets. I'm going to do dawns. And get your calendar. Your best friend is a great big calendar on your wall and you let your family know, again, saying, where's dad? Where's mum? What are they doing? They're shooting. And then once you start doing it, then you realistically go, this is looking fantastic. Who am I going to invite? Where am I going to have it? Am I going to have it at the local yacht club or am I going to a restaurant down at the seaside? Yep. And so all of those goals, but you're not putting pressure on yourself to do it all at once or find a place that you've got to lock into on the 1st of July and you haven't shot anything. 
Yeah. Once you get your first exhibition out of the way, I'm referring to an exhibition, for instance, you can travel with that. You can use that exhibition in lots of places and enter awards. You can do all sorts of things. But goals are hugely important because otherwise you just, you become one of those, I'm going to do it. And you asked me about my business, what inspired me to do it. This was in many questions ago. And one of the things was that's happened to me a number of times over the years. So many people have said to me, oh, I had that idea. Yeah, yeah, I was. I've that was my idea. I was, I was going to do gonna that. that, and I said that you didn't, yeah. and I did That's because it. I'm just like it, it's about having a conviction. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Like Make I make a I, commitment, whether it's to somebody else or to yourself. Yeah, and photography is very much about that. It's like exercise. Mm. Uh, it's like owning a dog. It's a commitment. But it shouldn't be a stressful commitment. It should be no. a well-planned. You think about any shoot that you do, it's well-landscape. Let's say you're going to go into the middle of the Tasmanian bush. Yep. You, you've got enough water, enough food, warm clothing. Everything's planned before the shoot and off you go. That's that's what this is all about, making it an enjoyable experience. Absolutely, absolutely. What role do you think personal expression plays in particular in landscape photography and how do you encourage your clients to infuse their own style and vision into their images? Yeah, I think it's it's hugely important because you are the only point of difference between you and the next photographer, how you see things, how you feel things, how you present things. We can all be landscape photographers. We've yeah. all done landscape photography, but what is your point of difference? Is it the fact that you always include a person in it? Is Mm. it the fact that you always shoot looking up or all your images are horizontal? Or is it the fact that you only shoot at a certain time of day? Having a point of difference is is crucial to create a style and for other people to be interested in what it is that you do. So if I'm a, a buyer of art or if I'm a purchaser of a photographer to shoot for Destination Victoria or something like that. I can look at lots of different photographers, but the one I'm going to pick is the one that has that personal expression in it that has a point of difference because there's no point in me changing from the person I'm currently using if I'm just going to get the same sort of work. Absolutely. And and that can grow. You might not know what it is for a long time, but photography is about trialling and trial and error. There's no right or wrong. And you can never second guess what somebody wants either. Mm. So it's really important to feel confident with who you are and what your expression is. Um, I was dealing with a guy, I can't remember, maybe Monday, and he was up in New South Wales and he is all about documenting the logging of forests. Yeah. And we and that was what the two hours was about. And I just said, everybody in documentary and landscape photography has done it, yep. doing it. So what is your point of difference? Is it the community around there? Is it the people? Is it what's left behind? Is it what it's like before? There needs to be an angle. Why are you wanting to do it? Yeah. yeah. Not looking at, wow, that's fantastic. I'm going to go up and shoot it. That's great. But it's I feel really empowered to do this because I want to tell the story of the people whose lives it's affecting mm. or whatever it might be. Hugely important is the answer to that. No, fantastic. Thank you. Where you mentioned there the trial and error. And to me, that says, okay, you've got to go and take some risks. And one of those risks that you're going to is that you're going to come back with images that don't work or whatever. 
how do you help people when they're trying to learn from failure and setbacks? I lie them down on a couch and I... <laughs> Pour wine down there, right? <laughs> yeah, and I just go, open up now. Um, look, that's a life thing. I think if you... Definitely. Yeah. I grew up shooting a Hasselblad with 12 frames. And even my daughter now, when we're shooting, when kids take a photo, they go, bam, 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 yep, yep. 50 pictures. I'll just go out and bang, got it. And they'll go, no, you got to do more. And I say, no, I don't. I got it on the first I nailed time. it. Yeah. <laughs> a degree, for God's sake. It's about allowing yourself to fail. And I think it's a life lesson as well. Plenty of things in business that I've cocked up and I've just gone, wow, and I burst into tears. And then I go, okay, I'm not going to do that again. Photography is about trial and error. If life was that simple, everything that we did, would work out and it doesn't. Mm. And sometimes the most wonderful, I remember many years ago with on my Hasselblad, it was an ELM, 500 ELM, I've still got it, which has, it's an automatic one and I put some film in it. I was photographing a friend of mine and the battery started to run down. So when the when I shot it, the frame slid up. So when I processed it, her face was there, but it just went through with this white swoosh up. Yeah. It's the light had, the, the pin light had, had the, gone into the lens. I don't know what had happened. And they were just like the best mistake I've ever made. And this was before Photoshop or anything. Sure. And the lecturers are going, how did you do it? And I went, the battery was running down. And I just kept on going thinking this will work. So it is frustrating. It's like, I don't know if you play golf. Like I have, my husband plays golf and I was just taken up trying to take up. I I haven't had a, a round for a long time, right. but so uh, I, I used you, to play a bit. Did you? So I'm a tennis player. I took up golf for three minutes because the first two shots, I thought I was off to the national, right? I was great. And the next oh, yeah. four days, I nearly broke my neck, jarring it, hitting the ground. I couldn't. And it's as frustrating as hell, but are you committed to it? Yeah. I'm probably not at the moment. Maybe in a few years I might be, but with photography, are you committed to it? It's what did I learn from that? Shivers, I'm not going to do that again. Um and also, wow, I didn't think that was going to happen. This could be really cool. Cover, cover your ass. Whenever we're photographed, I cut my teeth on shooting weddings at the very beginning. It's how I got to travel for so long. Mm. Now, you can't stuff up a wedding, right, because no. you can't reshoot that. And that was incredibly stressful. And I just shot, am I allowed to say shit? I'm doing it. I just shot the shit out of them. I had five cameras and I shoot and most of them were okay. And thank God I, that camera didn't even roll on. So just forget about them. And it's about an expression of interest. It is a direct relation to a relationship to your mood and how you are. And just some days you can't make yourself creative. Yeah. If you don't feel it, don't pick your camera. Like actually if you're travelling and you're doing travel photography or landscape and you're going out and you just, the light's crappy or you've had a terrible sleep or you've got a headache or a sore tooth or just go out and, and experience it. And start thinking about if I bring my camera back out, what's this going to be like? Or just don't take it out of your bag. It, that's okay too. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's really important to allow yourself to have the stuff ups. Totally. I think one of the one of the most important lessons I learned in photography was I've killed a few cameras and I've and usually it's because I've put myself in the wrong place at the wrong time where the, the weather and whatever isn't quite right. And that experience of literally total failure of the camera, lucky enough to maybe get salvage one or two images that I might have taken before the thing died, dealing with the disappointment of that 
yeah, I'm angry at myself for being in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Yeah, I'm angry at myself for not finish, finishing the shoot and getting what I wanted out of it. But it's about then saying, okay, I'll just go back there at the, at the right time, check the tides, make sure I don't stand in that spot and do it again. And it's about building that resilience and the ability to look at the failures and go, okay, that was a failure, forget about it. Absolutely. And do you know what we are as photographers? We're actually problem solvers. Totally. And so you get somewhere and in a commercial sense, I remember doing a shoot once of a very important person and I had to photograph her at a house and I got there and my Manfrotto tripod just broke, just Mm. broke. But it was really low light. I had to have a tripod and I just thought, what am I going to do? Like this woman was like so important. She was giving me 30 seconds of her time, but she had a coffee table with all these books and I just put all the books and I stuck the camera on top of it. <laughs> I just, but you have to, just got to, you got to go with the flow a little bit. Yeah, you got to roll with the punches. Yeah. You got to roll with the punches. And you ask people if you're shooting portraits or weddings in people's houses, if you got a lot of natural life, they go, yeah, there's heaps of natural light and heaps of PowerPoints and you get there, no PowerPoints. Yeah, it's a cave. All the windows yeah. are shaded. There's natural light in the morning. I'm there in the afternoon and you're just there going, recce's are really good, again, being prepared, but just dealing with that and also being able to talk about it if money's involved or clients are involved and just explaining, look, this isn't working today. Yeah. yeah. It's not a great thing, but hopefully all of your preparation's done beforehand. I'm going to work at a wedding, as you said, but for for other shoots you can sometimes angle your way out of it. You do have to, you just... Life can be disappointing. There's all sorts of things that happen and it's everyone deals with it really differently, but it's okay. It's okay to stuff up. You mentioned earlier on quite quite a few questions ago about how you've used some of your uni students to teach you new things. How do you stay up to date with new ideas and techniques in photography? I listen a lot, like I talk a lot, but I listen a lot and I read a lot. But mostly it's through being involved in universities. So I'm involved in with all sorts of universities across Australia, not just photography, but in design and advertising and marketing. I talk to the lecturers. I listen to what the students are doing. I have an intern that works with me each year. So I pick an an honours design student intern each year and they work from January to December and we work on all sorts of projects and um, listening to current trends. When TikTok came out, it's, oh my God, I ignored it for a long time. And then she said to me, go on, it'd be really fun. But you're funny, you can do a TikTok and we want to appeal to people like me. And so I started a TikTok account. But really, did I actually do that? I can can promise you I'm never doing that. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't my audience. So understanding yeah, who the audience yeah, is, but also enjoying it. It's a bit of fun. So I have oh, a, writer, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. a writer that works with me and we come up with all these fun ideas and we do silly things and campaigns and, but it's all relative. And I think you're as, you're as old as you feel or as you're as young as you feel. I don't feel any different to when I was 21. I think it's not all good. <laughs> let me tell you, but yeah, I listen a lot. I'm really open to I go to a lot of exhibitions and book launches. I talk to lots of different people in my newsletter that everybody can subscribe to. It's a free newsletter that you can subscribe through thebrownbilleffect.com. I have a conversation every month with somebody, you know, that I really admire in the industry and it could be from the video industry, photography. I've worked with um, some amazing world famous photographers out of America who are doing some really cool stuff that have worked for 
the New York Times and the Washington Post that have been into Afghanistan that have run amazing exhibitions. So all of them are on there. You can have a look at that in my conversations on the websites. There's, mm -hmm. there's a plethora of extraordinary people that I get to meet and they inspire me and teach me new stuff. Excellent. Okay. I never stop. You never stop learning. I never stop oh, learning. Yeah. Anyone that's stopped learning, I think, has stopped living. Um, I'm even learning pottery at the moment because oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, I'm on a spinning wheel. Do you know why? I just wanted the phone away from me. I didn't want to be looking at there and I just wanted to get, yeah. I'm really enjoying it. It's three hours a week. And it's just like, awesome. yeah, I'm never going to be a famous potter, but I'm going to be able to have something to put olives in soon. So that's good. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> you mentioned the creative register as being an important part of the business. How does that register work? And I guess, What's the most important thing you're looking for when connecting creatives? It's a creative directory and the assistant register. Okay, apologies. The most important thing with connecting creatives is about personality. Hmm. I'm a matchmaker. Yep. That's really what I'm doing, whether I'm putting somebody into a full-time role or a freelance role, or you ring me and say, I need an assistant and a producer on this job. I want to work with a gallery. It's about making sure that I understand who the individuals are and what their personality traits are, because that's huge. It's all about getting on with people. And we don't want two people that are going to butt heads or two really shy people, or do we want two really shy people because there's a third person that's not. So yeah, yeah. personality, obviously skill sets are hugely important, but not as important as personality when I'm matching people. Yeah. The skill set's also about if we're putting two people together, we don't want them to have the same skill set. I want this person to be able to do this and this person to yeah, be able to do Yeah, they've got to be complementary and bring bring together different aspects, yeah. So that's really important. And same with the assistant register. People will ring me and one guy rang me and he goes, Sal, I've got a job. It's in Tassie. We're camping. I snore. We're going to be up at dawn. I just need somebody that's tough that can handle it. And it's obviously you have to be a guy because I'm a guy and we're sharing a tent. Yep. Uh, really practical stuff like that. And I just think, yeah, okay, we can't have any people that are don't like camping or that don't like getting up early. So it's about matching the skill sets at that given time on what that project might be. One of the pieces of advice I've read on your website is about whether or not a photographer should work for free as a, as a photographer, should they give their work away? And I know it can be sometimes a bit of a hot topic. You see a lot of people, I know quite a few people complaining about on various social media about people that are losing work to people that are doing it for nothing or at, at such a low ball price that uh, they, they can't compete. What's your advice on that? My advice is that you never, ever shoot anything for free if other people are being paid on the same project. Hmm. So... If you came to me and said, look, Sally, I'm doing a love project for the Heart Foundation because my father died of a heart disease. It's yep. a really special project. I'd, I'd love an assistant to work in a, a stylist or um, a model or whatever it might be. None of us are getting paid. It's on a weekend. Do you know anyone that would be feel comfortable to do that? That is that is okay to do yeah. that. Yeah. But if Everyone else is being paid on the shoot and, um, and somebody or there's a, it's an agency or a company and the art director's being paid and the company and everybody else is being paid and they go, we're going to give this photographer a chance because they're starting out and, and we, we but we don't have any budget to pay you. Forget it. 
forget it. It's not appropriate. You're giving your skill and your time. So how I look at jobs is I look at every single job uniquely and differently. And just because that job, I worked for Grant for free because it was for the Heart Foundation. And the next job, he rings me and he says, look, now I'm saving animals and would you do another job free? You you make that decision. You don't want to be Grant's go-to photographer that yeah, always does everything the, the free. free. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> so what I would encourage this photographer to do would say, Grant, I'd love to do this. Yep, the heart thing is really great. It'd be great if you flicked me a real job at some point too. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. have to feel confident about your conversation. You do need to feel confident about what your value and your worth is. Yeah. But you don't give away. You don't give away your IP. Definitely, I actually have a very good friend who does some photography. I'm not going to say what genre because it might actually pin who it is. But the organisation he's been working with for quite some years has, I think, been taken in for a ride because he's he hasn't been paid for any of it, and it's not as it's not the sort of organisation like a heart foundation or a cancer care foundation or whatever it's actually a business and i've just given him similar advice just you really need to have that conversation with them about the value of your work and your time but you've also got to take ownership of allowing that to happen in your life too absolutely it's like people in bad relationships you've actually allowed that person to treat you really badly and you can do it for a very short period of time but then you go, come on, mate, I've done a lot of jobs for you for free. I, I just actually can't afford to do that anymore. And I've had yeah. to. So your mate, he has to own that and go, look, I've created this monster. I've said, yeah, because he's been excited to, to do some photography. Absolutely. Yeah. And he that's, that's go, why he got into it. He loves what he does. Yeah. And he loves what he does. And so he either has to own it and go, okay, based on me doing all this free photography for them, I'm going to turn it into a book. I'm actually going to make something out of it now or I'm going to turn it into an exhibition or this is just my soul. I don't need money. I'm not worried about it. I'm earning money somewhere else. It's a personal journey for him, but it's certainly people will take, it's human nature, people take advantage of you if you do good deeds. So definitely, a thing called boundaries and you have to have these boundaries with clients and friendships. Contra deals are okay. A designer might say, listen, I've got a really terrible budget for this, but if you shoot this project for me, I'll rebrand you or I'll design your website. And then you go, that works. Yeah, yeah. But you usually find those sorts of things are one one or two offs. It'll be a tip for tap. You do this. And next time I'd like to think that you hire me for a job and pay me properly. Yeah, yeah. I guess it just stresses the importance of communication. Absolutely, yeah. it does. And and, and and having people around you, like my business manager and a lawyer that I have, I ring them often and just go, what do I do in this scenario? How do I deal with it? Just so you've got your ducks in a row. You know what the answer should be. You have the confidence to know that you're not going back in. Even things like companies saying, like my t- payment terms, if you consult with me, you pay me on the day. Yep. If I'm putting somebody into a, in a company or an agency, it's seven days. And sometimes they come back and go, sorry, our terms are 45. So I'm there going, okay, how do I get around that? Because mine are seven days. And my business manager will just write to them and say, we'd love to do the work for you, but I'm afraid our terms are seven days. We're a small business. If you look at what's yep. going on in small business Victoria at the moment. It's, and it's all about it's all about cash flow. Yeah. And 45 days isn't going to cut it. And then they normally come back and go, okay. So you don't ask, you don't get. 
right? Yeah, totally. And that's what life is about. It's like when you're traveling, spent the, I spent many years traveling the world and people would say, if ever you're in Germany, come and look me up. If ever, you'll be sorry you said that. But do you know what? In the last 30 years, we've had half the world come and stay with us here because I stayed with them there and our kids are all traveling together now and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. So if you don't ask, you don't get and you can never assume things either. So I'll assume that this is going to work. You just ask the question. Like yep. you don't, especially when it comes to money too. Like it's, are you going to pay for that? I assume I am. Don't. Yeah, not don't a, not all the universities pay. Until you've either got a spit in a handshake that says you are or a piece Correct. of paper. And, and if you guess lecturing, which I do an enormous amount of, at a, a huge variety of places, some unis play really well, some mm-hmm. don't pay at all. So you have to ask the question and then you make that decision. And I think I'm never going to retire on a guest lecture salary of an hour. Do I want to do it? Yeah, I do, because I really enjoy giving back. But if I can get paid, that's really nice too. So I know the unis that do and the unis that don't. And I don't distinguish between them because it's my, it's like my charity thing that I do. And I'm really like this today. I'm really enjoying this conversation. And you make those decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. You talked about cash flow, one of the hardest things. You also mentioned the feast and famine that you go through with a photographer. How important do you think it is to have diversification in your income streams for a photographer? I think when you're starting out, you have to do your research, right? So for me, when I started out, I I taught two days a week. So no matter what happened with everything else, I yep. knew that I had enough money to cover our mortgage and to feed us as part yeah. with my yeah. husband's salary. So I think what's really important is that you don't jump in too quickly and stress and panic because that's the worst thing to be doing until Absolutely. you gather up a good network and a good base of clients. And it might be two or three clients. It might be one client that you lock in for 12 months and you're going to do a catalogue every month for that person that's going to cover all of your studio expenses or whatever it is. The other thing with invoicing is invoice every week. Don't wait until the end of the month because if you're invoicing every week, that should be your plan. So every week money's coming in. That's really important as well. Have a great bookkeeper. I know all of these things cost money, but they cost you money if you don't have them as well. And if you're no good at doing books or if you get confused, have a great system. I'm on. You don't want the tax man knocking on the door no, saying, where's don't. my money? Yeah. So Zero is really a fantastic program for creatives and, and it's easy. And I'm out, I photograph a, a receipt and I email it and off it goes in there and I chuck it away and it's like, that's done. So be smart about it. And I've forgotten the question. I went off on a tangent. Diversity in income streams. Oh, yeah. So don't jump into it unless you've got something. You you might have a partner or a parent or a kid that can support you for a period of time. But, yeah, it's about building a network and feeling confident. And it's also even when you're at your busiest, you've still got to be promoting yourself. So if you start following the brownbilleffect.com on Instagram or Facebook Sally Brownville on LinkedIn, you'll see that I'm promoting myself all the time. Even when I'm as busy as a crazy mouse on a wheel, Mm. there's always promotion so that I'm always busy because the big thing that especially photographers do is they get really busy and then it goes really quiet around December, January and everybody's really quiet and everybody really panics and everybody's out looking for work and people go, gosh, you're about the 15th photographer that I've spoken to today. 
yeah. quite out there. Whereas if you were just constantly hammering away, and we can do that now, especially with social media, we can pre-post email, we can drop in, we can do all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. One of the most difficult conversations that comes up is that around how you price your work. And that's both if you're doing pricing work for where you're actually going to go and do either a workshop or you're going to do a a shoot for somebody, but also if you're going to print your own, try and sell your own prints or even a book, how do you talk to your clients about how they actually structure their pricing? It's also, it's again, unfortunately, photography is one of those things, which is how long is a piece of string? I know. That's why it's a challenging conversation sometimes. It is. I've had advertising agencies in Melbourne book a Sydney photographer and be happy to pay four grand for them. Mm. And it's fallen through and they'll ring me and go, shit, we need somebody down here in Melbourne and I'll find them someone. And and then I'll say, okay, so you were paying grant four grand. So this one's four grand. I'm not paying four grand for a Melbourne photographer. What do you mean? Probably a better photographer than the Sydney photographer. They're more expensive up in Sydney, but they're not in Melbourne, but they're not better. Yeah. So there's a real... Um, yeah, different, different places have different markets, absolutely. Yes, money is always a tough thing to talk about, but you do your research, you understand the value of who you are, how long you've been shooting. You, If it's exhibition pieces that you're looking at selling, go to a lot of exhibitions, have a look at the sizes, look at the sort of stuff that they're doing. It's about research. It's really easy to research these days. The first question, as I said to you in a previous question, an answer that I said was, look at if it's a job, you look at every single job individually. The first question that I will always ask when a job comes in is, do you have a budget for this? Mm. It's really important to ask that because if they do, they've got to tell you. So they might go, look, for photography, we've got five grand or photography, we've actually got about 1,800 and I'll go, right. So you want us to drive for a day, spend two days up there and drive back for 1800 is not going to happen. Yeah. So my job then to problem solve or a photographer's job to problem solve, but what we could do is we don't have to drive to the Snowy Mountains. We can actually do it in the Dandenong Ranges because we've got the same trees. It's yeah. an hour away. Yeah. So problem solving to fit in with the budget is really important, but you don't agree to do a job like that for 1800 when you're going to be away from home for three days. Yeah, yeah. So it's, again, it's about conversation having the confidence to know your worth and to know what is right and what's wrong it can also do on the flip side because you can be listening to the job and thinking i reckon it's probably about two grand and they go yeah my budget's five grand and you go oh okay i'll take that yeah i think i could (laughs) yeah i think i'll get them yeah i think that should be okay you hang up you go yeah i'll I'll squeeze it in for that (laughs) i'll squeeze it in talking about but some people will come back and go look we don't have a budget we've never done this before or the guy that we used last time, he didn't we he didn't really charge properly. Okay, what did he charge? Yeah. So ask as many questions as you can for what your day rate is. And then you look at also if it is a two thousand dollar budget, but it's an extraordinary opportunity to go up in a helicopter over Lake Eyre. They're gonna put on dinner that night with a famous chef. Yep. And you're not doing anything, you'd probably do it. Yeah. 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 And they'd go mate thanks so much for helping us out we'll make sure we'll give you a proper paying job next time yeah so again you look at every job it was really big in the 80s and the 90s to have rate cards yeah Uh, Yeah. rate cards are really good for you to know what your rate is for a full day a half day 
But yeah. every know, know the value of your own time. Yeah. Correct. And what your studio hire is and how much your assistant's going to cost, et cetera. But every single job, as I have said a thousand times, you must look at individually. Mm. And, and then you make that call. Are you really quiet? It's a bit like the plumber on a Sunday. If he doesn't yeah. want to work, but if you pay him double, he'll will. Yeah, if, if you, you ring him up on a Sunday night, are you going to get gouged? So. <laughs> exactly. So you make a decision at the time, wow, this is going to be great for my folio. This is a huge experience. I've always wanted to meet Jamie Oliver and eat his food. Yes, I'm coming, you know. Yeah. Uh, or if they say, look, we really don't know, and you go, okay, what I'll do is I'll have a look at it, and you come back and you say, I suspect this is going to take three days. It's going to have two nights away. My day rate's this, dip, 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 dip. you put it at the bottom, you add it all up, and then you say, here is my quote. I'd love to go through it with you, and if we need to adjust anything, we can have that conversation. So you, yeah. you just put it out there and they'll come back and they'll go, listen, it's come over a bit too much, and you go, okay, let's have a work. And they might say, you don't have to hire a car, you can drive with me. And you yeah. go, let's pull it down two grand. And yeah. again, it's about communication and it's about conversation because at the end of the day, they've picked you because they want to work with you, not just because of your photography, but who you are as a person. Yeah, that's you know, right. You want to try and make this work. Mm. The shitty thing that happens sometimes is you do get invited to quote on a lot of jobs as that second or third quote. We really want Grant to do it, but we've just actually for the client... And if you find that you are being rung on a fairly regular occasion to be that second or third quote and you never get it, it's just you just want to leave that party and just yeah, say, look, that's totally. a happy thing, but I can't quote. Yeah. What about when you're working with smaller businesses where they're obviously going to be working on very tight budgets and they're not likely to be in that three, four, five thousand dollar range? And that's when you have your that's when you have your different rates. So you go. So back when I was shooting, I had a rate for design studios and a rate for advertising agencies. Yeah, right. And advertising agencies back then used to pay a lot more than design studios did. So again, it's about talking to them about budget. If you're dealing with small companies, you're really dealing with the person that owns the company. So it's you, most you have likely, yeah. Don't be frightened about it. They should not expect you to do it for free. They want to know what the worth is. But, yeah, you're not going to charge them, in most cases, what you would charge a multinational company or a big advertising or design absolutely. studio. Absolutely. You've got to look at the scale um, of the company before you Absolutely you do. And also not so much just that one job. It might be, like I said before, it might be a company that needs something shot every single month or it might be shooting all their social media for the whole year and it might add up to 20 grand over the whole year, which is school fees or something I don't know so look, look at it I cannot stress more highly look at things individually find out what budgets are how big companies are it's like people say oh it's a not-for-profit look I'm sorry that's great but people don't work for free for not-for-profits and often they have good budgets that's right because yeah. they might do a suite of photography in a year mm. that's going to last them what I want to ask about now is uh, whether or not you, I want to ask, do you actually go out and take photos yourself now? There's this little thing that I've got called a phone and I shoot a lot on my iPhone. hope none of the universities are listening. No, I do. I'm shooting constantly. I'm still asked to do portraits and I don't shoot commercially for anybody, yep. but I will do a portrait because I love shooting people. That was my thing and architecture. But look, I really 
I think the best thing, I've got the best phone, the best camera on it. I'm about to go on a really nice holiday overseas and I'm not taking a camera and it's a bit like, whoa. So yeah, I do shoot. I'm a very visual person. I'm always, my my shooting is, it's a bit quirky and I see things really differently. And yeah, I think it's really important that I do that. It's a, it's something that, that I love doing. I don't have really probably the confidence to go out with a huge big camera anymore. I've still got my Hasselblad and a couple of years ago, I did a whole series of family portraits, which were of of our family and my Mm -hmm. husband's family. And they're everywhere at their homes. And that's really beautiful. And I enjoyed doing it. I, but I would never, I shot my last wedding probably about 15 years ago. Right. My daughter was the flower girl and they asked me to shoot the wedding and I loved it. I was really stressed leading up to it. I was flown over to England to photograph a friend's wedding as well, probably about the same time. And when I came back, I just went, you know, it's just not worth it. I don't do it often enough to feel confident as I used to. And so I put my wedding shoes down at that point. Yeah, but yeah, I do shoot. I don't necessarily need to shoot with a big camera. My daughter's got a really beautiful camera. She's doing advertising at the moment. She's nearly finished and I'll pick that up sometimes and have a bit of fun with it. What's your most memorable experience in your photography career? Not so much the business after photography or? Gosh, I've got quite a lot. There was a time when I was a student, I was just about to graduate and one of my best friends who is now a TV director, she came from Broken Hill and I went up there with her to photograph. She was doing a whole fashion series out in Silverton and I went up with her to work out what I was going to photograph and two really exciting things happened because I was doing a lot of portraiture and architecture and her dad was friends with Pro Heart and okay. her dad owned the local barber. And he said, Sal, do you want to go and photograph the Brushman of the Bush? And I went, are you kidding me? So I was introduced to Pro Heart and Jack Absalom and all of those guys that were out of Broken Hill at that time. This is in the late 80s. And yeah. I spent days photographing all of them. That was a pretty extraordinary time. And when after I left Pro Heart, he had one of his Bibles, which he was quite famous for, and he painted it for me and wrote Sally on it and gave it to me, which I've got framed. Very cool. That was down at the beach. And that was extraordinary. And on that same trip, a mate of her brother's or somebody worked in the iron ore mines and they said, do you girls want to come down into the mines? And we just went, yeah. So we jumped into this lorry. So you go down in a shaft, I don't know if you've ever been in one, it's sort of yeah. all the light from all the different levels, black, like, like, and we get down there. We get into the back of this truck and we're just like right in the centre of the earth and we're driving down and we've got white boiler suits on and everyone else is in grey. And I said, what are we wearing white? And they said, so they don't swear in front of you because you're women, right? How fantastic is that? Like 1984 (laughs) or something. And, And we get there and they've got these literally like long cords that you pull and the light goes on up the next place where you drive and you pull it and we drove past and you pulled it and we're in pitch darkness and they were marking around and they was going, God, girls, there's no light here. I don't know what we're going to do. Is anyone who bought the lights on? And I'm just having my first panic attack, just going, what are we doing? Because it is, it, it is dark, isn't it? It is, it is dark, man, and it's like you can't see. And so they were just lovely and they loved us girls and they took us into all these great areas and I got some extraordinary photography. And those two moments were like, if I didn't have a camera and mm. I didn't do what I was doing, I would never have experienced, I was never have experienced that. Yeah. And I did some pretty amazing jobs here, one job for hotels and we got in planes and we flew all over far north Queensland 
And another job, which I had on my own, was working for a bus touring company. And it was, I got on a bus and I literally went up to far north Queensland and camped with German tourists for doing photography for their travel brochures. And that was back in the day of film. So my all my cameras were in my camera bags in cases. It was yeah. my mum's idea. And all of the film I had to keep in lead-contained bags that didn't get dust. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of those people I'm still in touch with. And yeah, so there's so many extraordinary experiences when you've got a camera in your hand and, you know, going behind at St Paul's Cathedral, was it St Paul's, going behind the organ, into the organ pipes to photograph that for... Mm-hmm. Can't even remember what it was for. That was when I was an assistant and meeting famous people. Going on set, I, I did. Rick got me to do some TV stills sometimes, and you just get to meet extraordinary people that do extraordinary things. And and I don't think I would have ever done half of this. Just hundreds of them that I wouldn't have done without a camera in my hand. Yeah, fantastic. What about horror stories? Plenty of those. My my horror story. As an assistant, can I tell you about that one? Yeah, go for it. So this is before retouching or anything. We had done, I was the assistant, I was Rick's assistant, and we had the white cyclorama that I'd painted. It was beautiful, and every day we painted it. And it was for a company that did pots and for flower pots and beautiful big urns and all of those sorts of things. And so every night at the end of the shoot, it would be a big white psych, and then they'd come in and we'd photograph them because they were going to deep deep etch them all it was five days of shooting it was huge we had everything from wheelbarrows and everything was coming in and everything had to be spotless and that was it and on the last night it was a wrap it was all finished it was fantastic we opened up the beers and off we went and we got shellacked we ended up down on Chapel Street having dinner. There was the client, there was me, the photographer, everybody that was involved. It was this massive thing. And one of the girls was still back at the studio and the because it's before mobile phones, yep. the studio phone had rung and she just went, right, okay. So she ran down to the restaurant where we were, where she was meeting us. And she goes, guys, the big boss has just rung to just say that there's five more products that haven't been photographed. And you're all hammered. done tomorrow, right? <laughs> and it's going to be at the studio at 7 in the morning because they've got to go to print at lunchtime. And, and I'm literally like 21 cross-eyed. I've had about 5,000 drinks and we were all like that. And Rick turns to me and goes, you're going to have to go back and paint the psych. And I went, what? I can't even walk. And he goes, you're going to have to, right? And they kept, and, I, and so I just went, oh, I got the keys. I was crying. I got all the way up there. I turned the bloody studio lights on. I went into the back and I stirred the pot of paint and I painted like crying. And Dave, one of the other guys, had come up to see if I was okay about an hour and a half later. Thanks, guys. And he walked up and I remember he's standing there and he goes, oh, you're going to be in so much trouble. And I said, oh, I painted the bloody thing. And I painted it pale blue. (laughs) Not what? I used the wrong tin of paint. I was in... All kinds of trouble. You can't even imagine. But Dave was lovely and we got all the redheads on it. We dried it. I rang my mum and said, I'm not coming home tonight, mum, staying at the studio. We then painted it white, dried it, and it was already. And nobody knew any difference in the morning except for me with my bug eyes in the morning and just thinking, it. This is time I have to go travelling. Amazing. But that was my biggest horror story as an assistant. And a friend of mine photographed a wedding and he had 
uh, a Mamiya and he had about six different backs. He said, I'm just going to run it really cleverly here. And he had a back with black and white in it, one with colour, one with infrared. He's yeah. real professional and he was so organised anyway, shot the whole wedding, he put the backs on, put another back on, he hadn't put any bloody film in it. <laughs> None of them had film. So there's some horror stories, but do you know what? You just get on with it, don't you? Have a bit of a cry and just go, wow, okay, that wasn't good. I ask every photographer this question. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing photographers right now? That everybody's a photographer. Oh, I think you've got a T-shirt said that. <laughs> uh, the biggest challenge, there are so many challenges, but one of the biggest challenges is that everybody is a photographer now. And yeah. I was a photographer. We were, not me necessarily, but photographers were revered for their skills in the darkroom and how they printed things and the way they understood how light fell and what lenses that they would use. And we were specialists. We were like brain surgeons because people go, wow, that's amazing what you can do. Yeah, the now, technical aspects went way beyond just the... Yeah, we didn't have to be educators because we were the people that knew what to do. Yeah. And whereas now most of our jobs as photographers are educating clients like how can that be I could do that or my son did that or yeah look we're now just got a in the back of our agency we've got a little studio set up and we just shoot all of our own product and that, like that never used to happen that that is the challenge for photographers that they are competing against non-photographers to shoot work and it was a bit like when Instagram became hugely popular and companies wanted to work with photographers that had huge Instagram followings yeah, yeah. Now, now that's all cool and I get that because it was helping their product and that's how influencers came and there is certainly a place for that. But when it comes to really high skill levels of understanding the intricacies, you really do need a photographer that is able to perform those tasks, whether it be in the retouching stakes or trying to get it right in camera the first time and saving money rather than trying to splice it all together. Absolutely. Or even if it is really solely for the photographer understanding the production values of a huge shoot. Yeah. Whereas somebody who's really cool on Instagram and has 50,000 followers, it might end up being a complete schmozzle because they don't know how to direct talent or they don't know how to get yeah, They don't know how to manage this that scaled up. Production. Yeah. So those sorts of things of it becoming watered down has been a huge problem. We went through, I was involved with, he's now passed also, uh, a guy called Nadish who bought out the first digital camera into the country and I was his agent at the time and my job was to, and he had stables at the back of Caulfield Racecourse, they were his yep. studios, and my job was to bring the advertising and design and photography industry into evenings where I'd flack around in high heels with cheese and wine and we'd talk about this camera and it was huge. It took up a whole room, it had three filters on it and yep. it was you could only use an incandescent light source and it could only shoot product. And we'd be in there and he'd be going, I'm telling you within the next five years, these cameras will be the size of our hand. And they said, look, we need to travel and we can't travel with these and we do fashion and it's really going to take off. That wasn't that long ago. So we've been through the challenges of educating everybody and understanding that digital didn't capture colour in fabrics as well as film did. And how does it get better and better? And how did yeah. the camera get smaller? And then we got phones and everything. We are not adverse to challenge as photographers. We have just experienced so much. I've still got a dark room at my dad's place, mum and dad's place. And but having it watered down as it has been, because everybody shoots, I think is a real problem. I think it's great 
the people can do it. But, but, but at the same time, it's about getting back to what is your point of difference? Why should you use me or you as a commercial photographer or as a, as a landscape photographer rather than my friend's son's girlfriend who's giving it a go or she's got an Instagram following? So yeah, it's yeah. an education process. And I think that is probably the biggest challenge. People will always want to see photography, photography books, has become a huge thing, exhibitions, mm. world photo fairs. It is it has become part of the social structure of the masses photography and it's where do you fit into it. There is no right or wrong but it's a, then I fit into it here and then I'm going to educate people around me on how I fit into it. Yeah. And, and, and my role in it personally is to make you be the best that you can be within that genre that you've selected or that I help you identify is your selection. Fantastic. What do you see as the future of photography? I see that every photographer on the planet needs to read this book. <laughs> um, look, I, I would like to see that it, it goes full circle and that people are starting to go back into dark rooms and shooting on large format camera and trying out film. It's already happening. Yeah. Um, I think that would be really great for people to actually experience that and learn how to shoot in 10 frames. That would be really nice. Look, photography, design, advertising, marketing, commercialism is never going anywhere. It's just not. Yeah. It will always be around in some form or another. I don't know. We might end up having cameras in our blooming, there's my dog, sorry about that, in our glasses. Who knows? I'm not a high-tech person. Wouldn't yeah, I think, I think Google tried that and then people thought that's a bit creepy so it is very creepy <laughs> look i'm not into technology i just think the future is photography is what we want it to be we need to keep it us for those of us that are in it we need to keep it alive and keep educating people and try trialing new things and giving it a go as i said we have gone through in my 30 years i've just gone through so much change in photography oh, um, but i would like to see photographers not be lazy in the future. I think that's one of the biggest fears that people just will just shoot it and we'll fix it up later. I think I would really like, I would personally like to see it get back to it becoming much more of a craft. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, cool. Are there any photographers, landscape photographers in particular, that you think I should be talking to on the podcast? Oh, gosh, put me on the spot, Grant. I wish you'd asked me that before because there's so many incredible people that I work with so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a list together for you and I yeah, think fantastic. that we will, and I'll put some website links together because I would feel awful if I mentioned a few people and not the, the ones that I want to mention. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm just going to let yeah, me just cogitate on that one for a minute and I'll email you about that afterwards. All right. Brilliant. Thank you. I've got one more question and it's one that's easier divides. than the last one. It should be, but it is a very divisive issue that many photographers seem to fall either side of. Do you like pineapple on pizza? <laughs> yes, and I also like beetroot in hamburgers. <laughs> Do you? I'm not a fan of the beetroot on a hamburger, but oh, pineapple on a pizza is just fine. Pineapple on a pizza and mango in a salad. Oh, mango in a salad is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, love it. And what a great question to end on. Thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time to share some of your wisdom, Sally. It's been wonderful getting to know you a little bit better and dig into what you're doing. 
you've mentioned the, the website a few times. So I normally ask where can people find your work, but I think they've probably, they've heard yeah, the, that. The brownbilleffect.com and that's a B-R-O-W-N, B for Betty, I-W-L, yes. So the brownbilleffect.com, everything's on there. If you want to book a consultation, if you want to read some of the great conversations that I've had over the years um, with people. The book. If you want to buy the book, there's a hard copy and there's also an app. There's all sorts of things on there that you can go to. And I really thank you for inviting me as somebody that's not shooting landscape, but that can talk about photography until she's blue in the face. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show. And if I come up to Sydney, let's go out and have a pizza with pineapple on it. Sounds fantastic. Or a burger with... Or a burger with beetroot. You can have beetroot. I'll I'll pass All right. (laughs) Thanks very much, Sally. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoy the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. If you're interested in buying prints or photography gear or doing a photo workshop with me, these are on sale on my website. I'm Grant Swinburne. I hope to see you out shooting soon.